0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. In Mark chapter five and verse one, it says they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. As I said last week, the other side is the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It is called the Decapolis. Decapolis, 10 cities, was established by Alexander the Great whenever the Greeks conquered. And now the Romans have conquered the Greeks and uh, they just kind of, the Greeks received them into their system. And so the Decapolis is the uh, Gentile, the Roman, the pagan side of the Sea of Galilee. So when he says, let's go to the other side, we're going to the Gentiles. As you've heard me previously say in the book of Mark, uh, Mark's movement in the book is that Christ goes to the Jew and is rejected. Then he goes away to the Gentiles and the Christian church, the mystery of the kingdom, the church. And then at the end of which, he will return to the nation Israel. That's in the book of Revelation during the tribulation and the second coming in his kingdom he comes back to israel jew gentile jew and that's how mark moves so we've seen him come to the jew and he has been rejected and now he tells the parables of we're going to go away in the church to the gentile and that's where we're going and so this gentile that we're going to is not merely a gentile he is very special He is a microcosm of the next 2,000 years of Christ going to the non-Jew. If you were a non-Jew listening to this, you did not have your origin in Abraham in the womb of Sarah and the 12 tribes given the law of God. No, your origin is from the Tower of Babel that your origin is we trace you back to idolatry and polytheism and pantheism and paganism. We trace you back to Baal and Zeus and Thor and Loki and Balder and Jupiter and all of this stuff. We trace you back to human sacrifice and child sacrifice. And so this Gentile here, this Garrison demoniac is a picture of the Gentile world. Paul said about us in Ephesians chapter two, that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no hope and were without God in the world. That's you and that's me. And that's where we came from. We were without God in the maelstrom, in the wood chipper of a pagan world. We were held by the prince of the power of the air and the spirit of that worketh in the sons of disobedience, the children of wrath. That's where we came from. And this uh, garrison demoniac, his only hope is Christ. And that was you. And that was me. We had no hope. We were without God. Our only hope was Christ. And that's the man we're going to look at. He is a bookend of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember in the book of Daniel, you saw Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the first kingdom and what Jesus called the times of the Gentiles. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome through the church age to reorganized Rome in the tribulation period uh, where Christ returns to destroy it. That is a period from Babylon all the way to the return of Christ. It's called the times of the Gentiles. Where Israel is out of the land, they are dominated by the Gentile world. Where it's like God gives man over to the Gentile. And so the initial king was Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And if you'll remember, he did a very indicative act. He looked on all that he had accomplished, all of the hanging gardens, and he said, Look what I have done by my great power for my majesty and my glory. And he didn't give glory to God. And God struck him. And God let him see what he was without God. He became a beast. He became an animal. He ate grass like an animal. He had hair that hung off of him like uh, the, uh, the feathers of a bird, the eagle was now grounded and he lost his mind and he was crazy for seven periods of time until he lifted his eyes to God and his reason returned and he became sane and walked like a man until that time he had to be chained. Now that's an indicative occurrence to the pagan world. This is what you become without God. You are like the uh, prodigal son. And when he returned to his senses, he said, I'm going home. The pagan world without God, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, secular America, Mexico and their departure from the word into Middle Ages Catholicism, they are insane. They are a beast. The eagle has landed. They must be chained now and restrained. That was Nebuchadnezzar. This right here is a man that is not under Babylonian rule that goes crazy. He is under Roman rule. That's the times of the Gentiles. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the church age and nationalism, and then reorganized Rome someday. Babylon to Rome. Nebuchadnezzar to the garrison demoniac, Are you with me? They're bookends. They're both without God, both Gentiles, and they're both crazy. They're insane. They're dangerous. And the only hope is for Nebuchadnezzar to lift his eyes to the God of Israel, and he is restored. The only hope of this man is to be seated at the feet of Jesus, And to look up and have his mind restored. And so, uh, last week over at Brookhouse Gym, um, I'm over there working out. And one of the um, uh, communicants over there of the gym, we got to visiting about our old lives, our pagan lives. And we were kind of comparing notes as to which of us was the most insane And indeed we were. And uh, we both just kind of reflected on how a Jew begins with an infinite personal God and then is led to the knowledge of God through Christ. Christianity makes him return. When a Gentile trusts Christ, he doesn't return. He repents and he comes back. He turns from his way. And how both of us just kind of looked at our lives and saw that we had been really crazy, we were insane. It was just a question as to uh, how far down we were going to sink before we ever returned. And that's what man is without God, especially a non-Jew that is apart from the Bible. It's just a question of how devastated he's going to be and of that country be it France, Germany, Italy, Portugal, whatever, and their departure from the God of Israel and from his son, Jesus Christ. It's just a question of how murderous and bloodthirsty, how many wars and abortions and murders and antithas and craziness they're going to be into. And so that's what this garrison demoniac is. He is a microcosm of the Gentile world, he's you and he's me before God brought us to himself. It's a frustrating text to teach because it is so brimming with truth. But thanks to a pandemic, we've got all day. And so the first thing we look at in verse one, uh, oh, verse two down through verse five is we're gonna look at the demoniac. We're gonna look at the lost, the lost man. There's a number of things you're gonna see about him. The first one is in verse two. And when Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. The first thing we see is that he has been taken over by the devil. Satan has commandeered him. The name of the demon, he gives himself, is, we see it down now, oh, let's see. Uh, in verse nine, the demon's name is Legion, for we are many. Now the word Legion to a Roman, whom Mark is writing to the Romans, uh, they understood what Legion meant. That's the Roman Legion. And Legion meant conquest, slavery, death and destruction and that is what this man was the demon said in verse uh, nine my name is demon our legion because we are many and that's this man he has been taken over by the power of satan and he has no hope whatsoever sound familiar that was you And that was me. Paul told Timothy that he should be patient with those who are in opposition. If perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they come to their senses, having been held captive by the devil to do his will. Paul says, Timothy, they're insane, they're crazy pray that God will release them from their bondage and they will escape what Paul calls the domain of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. God said to Paul, you are to go forth and call men to turn from darkness to light and to God from, and I quote, the dominion of Satan. And so this man is, has been commandeered by the forces of hell. And the next thing you see about him in verse three is that he's in the tombs. It says in verse two, a man from the tombs met him and he had his dwelling among the tombs. In other words, he is, what, what is it that dwells in tombs? Answer, the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, This man is a dead man and he lives among the dead, just like you and I. And in verse three, it said that uh, no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. He is number three, hostile to any who will try to subdue him. People know he needs to change, but nobody knows how they can restrain him. You can't fix him. All you can do is chain him. And so he is hostile to anyone that wants to help him. He's miserable in the way that he is, but he doesn't want anyone to help him. And he's resistant. Sound like a teenager? Yeah, they're crazy. And you'll also notice in verse three, all you can do is chain him. You can't fix him. You can just do damage control and restrain him. And you see in verse four that he breaks all the restraints. He had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough, the Greek says, to tame him. He breaks all restraints. You can try to philosophize him, socialize him, You can try to medicate him. You can try to counsel him. You can try to communize him, socialize him. Uh, You can try to do anything you can. You ever seen The Matrix? The only way you could deal with man was to put him in a coma. I believe it was uh, Brave New World, Everybody Is Own Soma. You just put them to sleep in the matrix. You put them in the matrix. You make them imagine reality, but they're not in reality because they will break every shackle you put on them. You can give them money. You can give them welfare. You can send them to college. You can give them a smartphone. Nothing will change them. Man is not just fallen. He's not just dead to God. Here he is irremediably dead. He is immedicably dead. He is unimprovable. And in verse five, he is emotionally tortured, constantly night and day screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, gashing himself with stones. Night and day, he has insomnia and he is Enslaved to his own despair. He hates being where he is. He won't let anybody help him in where he is. But he is in despair with his own freedom. He hates what he has become. And he gashes himself. He's self destructive. He wants to die. He hates himself. He also, we find out in the other Gospels, he's naked. He has no sense of, uh, what's the term? No sense of decency. He has no sense of moral decorum. He is antisocial. The only buddy he has is a fellow demoniac. I believe it's Matthew that tells us. He's lonely, he's alone. He suffers what modern man is called atomism, A-T-O-M-I-S-M. It means you're nothing but just a bunch of matter. There's nothing above you. You're a cosmic orphan. Your planet is the blue dot. No one loves you. No one cares about you. You are Nietzsche's existential uh, animal. You are Sart's bubble of nothingness on a sea of emptiness. Or a bubble of emptiness on the sea of nothingness. I forget what it said. But you are alone, self destructive. And it says in another gospel that he is exceedingly violent, and no one can pass that way. He has commandeered his geography. And this is what happens when you go to the cities. Always in the Bible, the city is dangerous. The only city that isn't is the city above and the city of gold of Jerusalem. Sodom is dangerous. Tyre and Sidon are dangerous. Capernaum is dangerous. When people want to enjoy life, you get away from humans, you go to nature. You go out on the pond. You go out hunting in the duck blind. You get away from humans. The city is terrifying because it's full of humans you don't want to retire to Brooklyn or to the Bronx it's full of humans and you go out at night someone will mug you and rape you or carjack you or kill you or a serial killer will find you a kidnapper will find you a trafficker will find you man has gone mad and so if this man looks familiar it's because he is he's you He's Chicago. He's Portland. He's Austin. He's Denton. He's the square. He's North Texas. He's the University of Texas. He's Baylor. To some degree, this man is you and I. He's man. Are you with me? The microcosm of the other side, the demoniac. And now in verse 6 through verse 7, we're going to look at the demon that has him. In verse 6, only one person does the demon fear. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, said, this demon only fears one person. Nobody can shackle him. But just from a distance, he gets a glimpse of Jesus and says, "Uh uh-oh, the king has come. Jesus has done a Normandy on that shore. You know what I mean when I say a Normandy? Our Normandy was our landing on the shores of the enemy at Normandy. And then we were going to press to the east till we got to Berlin and get Hitler. This is the initial landed invasion of Babylon, the Gentile world. Uh, And the, the demon knows who it is. He runs, he bows, and he begs. Do not, verse seven, do not torment me. Are you with me? He sees, he recognizes, he runs, he bows and he begs. It's an anticipation of Philippians chapter two, verse nine through eleven. That God exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, angels, men, and demons will be under his feet someday. And this demoniac goes at his feet. This is kind of interesting because once he gets healed, he is going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're all going to end up at the feet of Jesus. Those in heaven and on earth will bow. Those beneath the earth will cower. But man will sit or man will fall prostrate before the feet of Jesus. Demons or believers, everybody will be under the feet of this last Adam. And there are, it's amazing here, but in verse seven, he says, what business? The Hebrew says this, what to me and thee? It's a Hebrewism. And it means what do we have in common? You're alien from me, you're apart from me. You know what word we have in Hebrew and in Greek for the word apart? Kadash. is the Hebrew word, Q-A-D-A-S-H. It means holy. To cut. Kadash. When he says, What to me and thee, he calls him uh, as Mark, or I'm sorry, Luke's gospel says, Jesus of Nazareth, Holy One of God. Uh Five major points of Christian orthodoxy that took Christianity 400 years plus to formulate and to set down in church councils are declared by this demon in one sentence. Did you know that? 325 AD, we said Jesus is God at Nicaea. And uh, 381 at Constantinople, we assured that he was man, fully man. Uh, At Chalcedon, that he was God and man united in one person without division, without confusion, forever. The incarnation, the hypostatic union, the theanthropic person of God and man in one person. And by Augustine's time in the Pelagian Controversy, we ruled that salvation is not a cooperative act between man and God. It is a sovereign monergistic act of God alone. That demon recognizes all of this in one sentence. It took us between 325 and 451 at Chalcedon. I believe it's 451 to recognize those points, the demon says it in one breath. He says, you are, what's he say? Jesus, son of the most high God. The most high God was the term used about the devil in Isaiah chapter 14, I will make my throne like the most high. He says, you're the son of the most high God. You are God. You are, the Gospel of Luke says, the Holy One. You're the Messiah. You are God, but he calls him by name, Uh, Jesus. The Gospel of Luke says, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. I believe it's Luke. That you're a man, but you're a God. You are the of, he says, uh, son of the most high God. Even though that you're a man and you are God, you are not simply God. You are distinct from the father. You are the son of God. We would say at the council of uh, uh, Nicaea, you are one in essence, but you are distinct in person. You are in essence God, but you are in person, the son of God. Or as John would say, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He is and he's with him. This demon recognized that in one sentence. You're God. You're man. You're God and man. And like Augustine said, don't torment me the gospel of, uh, I believe it's Luke or maybe Matthew, says, don't torment me before the time that you are going to destroy me, you and you alone. That's what Augustine said in the uh, early 400s AD. Are you with me? What the church formulated between 325 and 415. This demon recognized it immediately. Immediately. That's why we say the greatest of all theologians in the Bible, apart from the apostles, is Satan. If you're going to be the greatest deceiver, you must by definition be the greatest theologian. Otherwise, you'll be erroneously leading people into orthodoxy. (laughs) That was pretty witty. And so Satan knows the truth as soon as he sees him. Uh... Make a note. Anyone listening in on this conversation between the demon and Jesus, the conversation was over their heads. Jesus, Holy One of God, Son of the Most High God, you've come here to torment me. Anybody else would have been going, what? Son of the Most High Jesus, a man, God, God, but the Son of God, united in this person, you alone are going to conquer sin, Satan, and death? Anybody that heard that, other than Christ and Satan, the conversation was over their heads. You couldn't have stayed with them. That's why the Bible says, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. Our, our struggle's against Uh, forces, powers, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Judas came to betray. The Romans came to arrest Jesus. You know what Jesus said? The God of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The 12 would have said, why? They didn't understand what was going on. And so this demon knows who he is. And it's the only thing, incidentally, that Satan fears. You remember Jesus said that he comes into the strong man's house to bind the strong man and then to plunder his possessions of people. And he said, a strong man, fully armed, guards his own possessions, and they are undisturbed. Satan is the strong man. He guards his own possessions, man, and his possessions are undisturbed. You can make them smart little fallen people, rich ones, healthy ones. You can make them gluten-free. You can do all this stuff to them, but you're not going to redeem them and let them be born again. Satan's got them. There's only one thing he fears. And that is Jesus, son of the most high, who has come to torment him to subjugate him to the lake of fire. And he knows it. Well, in verse eight through 10, are you with me so far? We've looked at the demoniac, man, and we have looked at the demon. Well, in verse uh, eight through 10, look at Jesus. He had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Make a note. What can Jesus do to release man from Satan's power? Answer, his very word. In him was life. I'm sorry, in him was light. No, no. In him was life and his life was the light of man. He is the very word of God. And when he speaks, it's done. Uh, his word is uh, Can it heal the leper? His word, can it subdue nature, hush, be still? His word, can it forgive a man, your sins are forgiven? His word, can it raise the the, uh, paralytic? Can his word command Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him? Can his word direct Sabbath worship? Yes, yes. His word can draw a multitude to sit at his feet. It can command the winds and the waves, and his word can command Satan. Be gone. This man is the Renaissance. He's the Enlightenment, he's the Reformation. This is the one person that can free man, as the songwriter said, from sin and nature's night. So, come out of him, you unclean spirit. And verse nine becomes a face-off for dominion. And he was asking him, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. In those days to pronounce a man's name over him was a sense of dominion. The demon says, I know who you are, Jesus, son of the most high God. Jesus says, what's your name? He says, legion, for we are many. Like I say to a Roman that Mark is writing to, you understood what legion meant. It is a troop of 2,000. And it meant devastation, death, conquest, and slavery. Vine, vide vici. Caesar, I came, vini. I saw, I conquered. Vini, vidi vici. I came, I saw, I destroyed. That was Caesar. That was Rome. I reduced you to rubble. Gaze upon my might world. Rome the iron beast that tramples all beneath it. The demon says, we're the ones behind Rome. We're the ones behind conquest and death and violence. You see, God shows his glory through man. Adam is called the son of God by creation man is god's vice regent all things are under his feet he is god's prince god's king satan is the attacking force who said all things have been handed over to me and he seeks to take man and destroy him to crush him to destroy his marriage his mental makeup his body his marriage his child his home his government, his education, his science, his commerce, uh, his business, his political scenario, his philosophy, his psychology, his universities. That I will come and see and conquer. I'll destroy you and bring you down to nothing. And that is why whenever a demon possesses a man in the Bible, it's not pretty. It's a foretaste of hell. It is man in a living hell that is bent over and destroyed and blinded and shattered and crushed. Satan does to man what Caesar does to Medo-Persia. Behold my might and my smoking ruin. Well, in verse 10, the demon asked permission remember the book of Job? Satan can't do anything unless God gives him the freedom to do it. It's a very important thing in the Bible that we understand that about the devil. God cannot be impugned with bringing about evil. But Satan cannot be said to be free and co-equal with God. Satan acts, but only within the prospectus of God. What I will allow you to do, you can touch him. You can touch his body. You can touch his body, but not his life. You can go this far and for this long, and then it stops. Satan hath demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you. Your faith won't fail. And after you've repented, you'll be a stronger man. I'm going to use the devil for my purposes. And so in keeping with that, he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Stay with me just a second. If you were to go to Luke chapter eight, to the corresponding text in Luke, the demon says, do not cast us into the abyss. The abyss is a place in Revelation nine where a host of demons are kept that have been assigned to this prison, this pit of darkness from Genesis 6 on. It's another sermon for another day. Don't worry about it. It is a holding place of the demonic until they are released for the day of judgment, the tribulation. These demons don't want to be seen there. They don't want to go there. They understand their theology proper. They're anthropology, their harmadiology and sin. They understand the doctrine of soteriology of salvation, of Christology and Christ, theology proper in God. And they also understand their angelology and their Satanology. That they will all end up destroyed in the pit someday by the Son of Man, by the Messiah. And so, don't cast us into the abyss. And that's what they mean by don't cast me out of the country. Into the abyss. It's a plea bargain. We'll go out of the man, but could we please ask you not to send us into the lake of fire? Not yet. Now, they can't say, send us into another man. He won't do that. So, could we have the pigs? Demons long for bodies so that they can show their might just like God does his in a human that becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God shows his glory through humans. Demons want bodies. Angels never ever possess bodies. They can assume bodies and it's always glorious. Demons can never assume human shape it would be crossing the line they can possess bodies but they I think that when they were cast from glory I think that they lost their glory they lost their form their embodiment of glory whenever you see angels in revelation and Daniel and wherever appear to men Men fall terrified at the majesty of those, these angels. Demons, I think, are like the wraiths of uh, Lord of the Ring, That they have lost their embodiment. And they long for bodies. Jesus said, when the demon goes out of a man, he goes through waterless places seeking somewhere to possess That they look for bodies to show their glory. They will look for cultures. They will look for universities. They'll look for marriages. They'll look for men. They'll look for anything to leave a vini viti vici, a destruction and a path. And so the demon says, "Don't cast me out of the country. How about these pigs? It's called deviled ham. I'm sorry." but they want to go into pigs because they figure they're expendable. Pigs are unclean to the Jew. You know why a pig is unclean? Because they're omnivores. They will devour all, omnivore. A demon will eat anything. A human is like a pig. He will eat anything. He will look at anything. He will self-destruct on anything. He will destroy himself. A human is just like a pig. He has no discretion as to what goes into him. Amen and amen. So let us go into these pigs. Well, in verse 11 through 12, Let's look at the pigs. There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on a mountain. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. You can't go anywhere unless I let you. And so he will use these pigs as a microcosm. He's going to teach the Gentile Roman What a herd of legion looks like when Satan conquers them. This is what the city will do. This is what the university will do. And this is what man will do. It says the herd rushed down in the steep bank into the sea, 2,000 of them. Incidentally, that would be worth, one commentator says, uh, the equivalent of a quarter of a million dollars that they lose. And it says they were drowned in the sea. What is, why is this a picture of man? Because the pigs run in packs, they are in herds. So is man, he congregates. The pigs are driven by the devil. Just like man, we are sons of disobedience, of the spirit that worketh in sons of disobedience. And thirdly, they're oblivious that it's the devil that's doing this. So is man. If I go to Congress and preach about Satan, they'll laugh me out of the house. If I go to MIT, Stanford, if I go to Harvard, they'll laugh me out of the house if I talk about the demonic realm. Uh, they plunge downhill. So man goes downhill. He does not get better every day in every way. The vision of the times of the Gentiles and Daniel is an image of a man. Gold head, silver arms and chest, bronze belly, iron legs, clay feet. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, dirt. That's man. They go downhill. When we speak of the old days, we speak of the good old days. They're always more moral. And the pack gathers speed. They go faster and faster and faster. And so does man. And you know why they all go into the sea? Because they follow the pig in front They follow the pig next to them, just like man. Why are you doing it? Everybody else does. There's a trick you can do sometime when an elevator door opens. Get all the people in the elevator to agree to face the back of the elevator. Try it. When the elevator door opens, we'll all get together, four of us, we'll all face the back of the elevator. A guy gets on the elevator. Guess what he'll do? Like a pig. He'll turn where the other idiots are turning. And so they follow the pack. And incidentally, they get faster and faster following the one in front of them. We would call it your peers until you end up into the sea. I believe in one of the gospels, it's called the abyss. You all end up, really when you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, it's called family reunion. You've got the city of glory. You've got the lake of fire. You've got Christ and his people. You've got Satan and his angels. Family reunion. And so, that's the pigs. And now in 14 through 17, look at the townsmen. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that happened And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. The townsmen, how will they respond? Now, just a second. Have we seen in the earlier chapters how Nazareth Capernaum responded to the healings of Jesus? Yes, we did. You do these by the power of the devil. Get out. How will the Gentile respond? After we have seen this historic problem solved by Jesus, certainly New York, Chicago, Austin, and Portland are going to respond different than Jerusalem and Capernaum. Right? Wrong. In 14 and 15, they come and everything is set right. Demons are gone. The unclean pigs are gone. Crazy man is okay. Clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. Jesus turned the world upside down. They said to Paul, actually, they turned it right side up. Jesus fixed it. In one motion, it's fixed. Well, verse 15, they were frightened. What were they frightened at? Immense power, immense holiness, immense judgment on these demons and they are frightened. In verse 15, they, each phrase here is like a sermon. They see a man uh, that is seated. He's at rest. Just as we are seated at the right hand of God in Jesus Christ, we're at the feet of Christ. As Nebuchadnezzar looked up, so this man looks up and he's in his right mind. He's sane. your right mind is when you are apart from evil, close to God. You're back in the Garden of Eden again. And the prodigal came to his senses. Timothy, that God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. And they come to their senses. And Nebuchadnezzar's reason returned when he looked up and he walked like a man on two feet. The demoniac is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He has social decorum. He is emotionally at peace. And he is doing what a man is meant to do and that's gaze upon the face of God. Ain't that good? Everything's right. Demons are gone. And in verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon possessed man and about the swine, and they began to implore him to stop just a second. The demons begged Christ to cast them out into the pigs. The the townsmen beg Christ to be cast out. Christ cast out the demons. The townsmen cast out Christ. This is called a hermeneutical landmark. You can see it a million miles away. Jesus cast out the demons. Yes, he does. He makes things right. Yes, he does. What will man do? Obviously, all men will be clothed, seated in his right mind at the feet of Christ, right? Wrong. Only the remnant will. The majority of the Gentile world in seeing what Christ can do by his power and by his holiness will demand that he get out. Just like when Christ came, can I have a room at the inn? no. You can go over here with the animals in a manger. And so the crowd ask him to leave. It's irony. He cast out the demons, man cast him out. In other words, man is insane. Man willingly rejects the only solution. Because he likes pigs better than people. He likes money better than being in your right mind. He likes the filthy rather than the kosher, the clean. Yeah. You ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Hoosiers? Gene Hackman, the coach, Dennis Hopper, the town drunk named Shooter that has a good knowledge of basketball but is drunk himself into a sot whose son plays for Hackman. Hackman needs an assistant and he wants Dennis Hopper, Shooter. He's got a great basketball mind but he's a drunk and there's that sense in Hackman of a redemptrix. He's redemptive. He's going to help the Hoosiers. He's going to come back from where he was when he was kicked out of coaching. And he's going to bring Dennis Hopper back. And he goes to meet Shooter in his house. I want you to be my assistant. Me? Me? I want you to be my assistant. Oh, I... I I know know basketball. I can tell you whatever you need. No, I don't mean a consultant. I want you to sit on the bench with me. Me? Yeah. I want you to wear a suit. Come to practice. I want you to be my assistant. Oh, I I got a suit. I got a humdinger. I was married in that suit. Only one thing I'm asking you. Yeah? I can't have you drinking in front of these boys. What, what's my drinking got to do with my, my, my knowledge of basketball? No, you're now a coach. You're more than just a lecturer on basketball. You're a model. And I can't have you drinking. If I see you drinking, I'm going to remove you. I can't have that. In other words, If you're going to be elevated and restored, you're going to have to get rid of that stuff that has robbed your brain. That's all I'm asking you. Remember what Shooter says? I'm going to ask you to leave. I'm going to ask you to get out. I'm going to ask you to leave. And that's something. I'm not willing to change and get rid of what's ruined me because I love it so much and I will cast away my only hope of redemption. That's man. Would you like to have a God become a man, die on the cross, redeem you, defeat Satan's sin, and send you to glory? No. I'd like all those blessings, but you're saying that I have to repent. Repent. You're saying that I can't have Satan and Christ. That's what I'm saying. Sir, we'd like you to leave because we like our pigs more than we like people. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like to me that they're insane. And they are. He came to his own and the world was made by him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But to as many as did, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. Incidentally, a chapter back, people seated at Christ's feet, his family comes, wants you to get up and leave and come out. Who is my family, mother, brother, sister, brothers? Those seated at my feet, they're my family. That's the Jewish remnant. Now we got a Gentile seated at his feet. What makes up the church? Jew and Gentile who are seated at Christ's feet. Just like when we gather on Sunday, when we're not sick frozen or have tomain when we gather all together and we sit at the feet of Christ. That's the church. Well, in verse 18 through 20, here's our convert. He was getting into the boat and the man who had been demon possessed was, this is the second time you see somebody begging Jesus. No, the third time. The demons beg him. The townsmen beg him, and now the convert begs him that he might accompany him. First he is sitting, then he is standing, and now he is walking and following. He is a microcosm. The demoniac is a microcosm of the nations. The pigs are a microcosm of the people. The herdsmen and the townsmen are a microcosm of the response of the world. This healed man is a microcosm of the Christian church. First, we sit and we are educated. And then we get up and we leave all behind us. We take up his cross and we identify ourselves with the rejected man. And he wanted to accompany him. This is really sweet. Every time I look at this, I think about Max on the Grinch that stole Christmas. You remember the little dog? The Grinch jumps in the uh, sled, the head down, and here's Max sitting there. <laughs> He's gonna go with him. Get out of here, Max. Now, the 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 guy that was healed, he jumps in the boat. Where are we going? All the 12 are looking at him. Hey, who's this guy? He says, I'm ready to go. He becomes your first missionary. He is set free to serve a new master. Did y'all catch that bit of brilliance on my part? He is set free to serve a new master. He is free from the devil to serve Christ. See also Romans chapter six and Colossians one. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. He doesn't want to go back to his old way of life. He has no affinity for the guys that don't want his Savior. He wants to do mission work. I want to go with you to missions. Did Jesus tell him to go to missions? No. Why does he go to missions? He must. When I have been changed like Matthew, I better get all my IRS buddies to listen to me who I met. The woman at the well taken off into the city, come meet a man. Uh, Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. Andrew goes and gets Peter. You got to meet this man. And so he does missions. Why do we do missions? We have to. We found him. Well, in verse 19, the only, you know, Jesus does what the demons ask. Jesus does what the townsmen ask. He doesn't do what the healed man ask. Because the healed man, Christ reserves the right to direct his life. Did y'all all get that bit of wisdom on my part? I now reserve the right to guide your life where I want it to go. And so, he did not let him. God doesn't sacrifice the best on the altar of the good. I've got something better. There's the train coming right through, bringing groceries and clean water. And verse 19: Come. Go home to your people and report to them what great things or literally report everything that the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. He says, you don't get to go to missions yet. I want you to go back where you came from. It goes like this. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the outermost parts. I want you to start right there where you are. Go back to your house. Like Peter went to his mother-in-law, like Andrew went to his brother, I want you to start in your home. And I want you to tell them the great things God has done. This, my friends, is the gospel message. Tell them what God has done in you. And in verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done. God, through Jesus, does great things, and we go tell everybody what he did. We start in our home, in our school in our neighborhood, on our team. And then we go out. And I want you to notice in verse 20, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Decapolis isn't a town. It is a league of Gentile cities. He became in time a missionary his own racial group, he started in his home. He went out to the Decapolis. One is pointed out in a later text, Jesus is going to show back up on the same shore and he's going to end up feeding the 4,000. You know why there's going to be 4,000? Because everybody in verse 20 was amazed they, that's the word used for a miracle. They saw a miracle, and it was this man. The creation, God makes the world. The new creation, he makes a man. A recreation. Now, that's what the Gentile world is. You remember in the book of Romans, it goes like this. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men who suppress truth. They know what the truth is. For since the creation of the world, his invisible power, eternal, invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. Revelation so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they would not glorify him as God. Revelation has rejection, but they became futile in their own speculations. It now goes to human reasoning and their own speculations, their own reasoning. And they exchange the glory of God for an image. Divine revelation, rejection, human reasoning, and then replacement. And they exchanged the glory of God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Therefore, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are evil revelation, rejection, reasoning, replacement, reprobation. God gives them over. You don't want God? Thy will be done. And you see this litany of evil that man does. And then it says this. What's the last verse? The last word, the last R word is the word reversal. Although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who did such things were worthy of death, they not only did the same things, but gave hearty approval to those who practiced them. The last in the declension of man, Romans 1, to Rome, is that man will now end up in a reversal. He will reject that which is good, which he knows intuitively is right. And then he will applaud murderers, perverts, sodomites, thieves, fornicators, the barbaric. He will now applaud the vile. And man becomes, what is that when you reject what is good embrace and applaud evil it's called being insane you're crazy and when paul writes to the hub of civilization rome that is his initial chapter god's revealed himself in nature man rejects it because it calls him to light and then man goes inside of himself, and man replaces God with nature, with animals or virtues that he calls people, Thor, Loki, uh, Bacchus, and the like. And then God gives him over in reprobation, and you see the ruin, vine vidi vici, the destruction of society. It's a smoking ruin. And then lastly, the seventh one, is that man now will applaud evil. He will endorse evil. He will cheer for evil. Vote for evil and embrace evil. And then that... Culture becomes a rerun. That's your last R. It repeats. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Italy, Germany, France, you name it. It becomes an archaeological dig. Man without God is crazy. He's insane. That is the world. As God sees it. That is Jesus. As Satan sees him. The only thing I'm afraid of. Is Jesus. So says Satan. This is what the world will do with him. Reject him. But there are a few. That will be touched. Delivered. Sit. Clothed in their right minds. And follow him. To a life of purpose. Isn't that great? I remember one time hearing W.A. Criswell, you young guys, he was the pastor of First Baptist Dallas for about half a century. And W.A. Criswell would burst into songs sometimes. And he was preaching along on a text like this, Psalm 126, they said among the nations, God hath done great things for them. He has done great things for us and we are glad. And I remember Dr. Criswell just all of a sudden going off into song with that old broken voice of his, the old hymn. He would go, oh. What he's done for me. (laughs) Oh, what he's done for me. Oh, what he's done for me. I never shall forget. What he's done for me. (laughs) And that's this text. Go tell them what great things God hath done for you. And he went into the Decapolis to telling what great things Jesus had done. And everybody went... (laughs) Wow! That's us. So don't y'all get amazed when our country full of pigs does crazy things and when our townsmen tell our only hope to get out. So goes man. You, I, we, us, we're going to sit and we're going to preach. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, until we meet again, lift up our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.